You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to sevier.church. Today's sermon, Worship, is part one in the series, Strategy, Our Plan for Spiritual Growth in 2024, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Thank you so much to our worship ministry today. I tell you what, Pastor Scott, get everybody back up here. Let's just rewind that and do it again. How about that? <laughs> oh, wow. What a, what a wonderful time of worship that we have already had today. And uh, looking forward to what God is going to do in the remainder of this service today. So I want to ask you at this point to please find in your Bible Isaiah chapter 6. The book of Isaiah and chapter 6. We're going to read the first eight verses of that chapter in just a moment. Today we're beginning something new to start the new year called strategy. We're going to begin this year with a refresher of our strategy here at First Baptist Church for spiritual growth. Uh, we use a graph to, you've probably seen this before, to show our strategy here at our church and it helps us to remember our plan uh, that we want uh, all the folks who are new uh, to, uh, to get into, uh, remind the rest of us in a visual way of the rhythm of our lives together as a church family. And so uh, you see this graph on the screen at the top. It begins with worship, to worship together weekly, uh, moving around uh, the bases there is uh, then to grow in a life group and then to serve in a ministry of our church and finally to go in your world, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your world. So uh, we're going to focus on this as a way to refresh our memories and to recommit our lives to these things we believe God has called us to. Now, by the way, this is nothing new this has really been the pattern of the life of our church for the last 234 years. This is what we've always been about, uh, but we, we put it together and worded it in this way to help us to remember it and to show those who are new. Uh, this month, we're going to focus on one part of that strategy each week in January, and I'm going to include uh, the pastors on our staff that give direct leadership to each of these stops on our strategy map. Uh, Craig Mintz is our grow and our go pastor. He'll be speaking into that on those weeks that we talk about it. Uh, next, uh, or in a couple of weeks, Steve Brewer, who gives leadership to the serve part of, of our ministry is going to be speaking to that. And today, uh, we're going to hear for a few minutes in the middle of the sermon from Scott Andrews, who gives leadership to our worship part of our ministry. And uh, Scott, this will be your chance uh, to take revenge on the pastor as the worship leader for every time that I've gone too long. Now you can, you can go however long you want this morning, okay? And so you're going to hear from Scott in a minute. We believe, as we begin today talking about worship, we believe that worshiping together with the church is vitally important to our spiritual health and growth. We find strength and unity when we gather together like we are this morning. 
and we, we gain encouragement when we look across the room and across the island, down the row, and we know, listen, we're not in this walk with Christ alone, but, but we're surrounded by people in the family of God who are doing this with us. And uh, we, we worship on Sunday and then spread out throughout the week, and then we come back together on Sunday only to go out again. It truly is the rhythm of our lives as Christians. And uh, this is not just a Baptist thing. Uh, This is not a modern thing. This is a Bible issue. We believe in worshiping weekly together on Sundays that we're following the pattern set by the original church in the book of Acts because we read that, that they gathered together for worship on the temple grounds. It was the only place that could hold them all in Jerusalem. And so they would gather together to worship and then they would disperse to live their lives as disciples of Jesus. They would group up together in homes for fellowship and discipleship and prayer throughout the week. And then they would come back together. And so uh, we believe this is the pattern that we are to follow set out in Scripture. We gather for worship like this every week because we know we need it. We take care to plan the different elements of each worship service in such a way that we're able to provide, hopefully, the best atmosphere possible to truly worship the Lord. And we're interested in that, in in true worship. How many of you know that not everything that is called worship is truly worship? Sometimes we will come to a worship service like this just out of routine and we go through the motions and yet our hearts are a thousand miles away. We're here, we're doing worship things, but we're not really truly worshiping. Like Jesus told the Pharisees, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And I'm afraid I would have to say more often than I would like to admit, that statement has been true of me. That we sing the songs and yet my heart is a thousand miles away. Listen, we need to guard against that, don't we? And we need to pursue authentic straight from the heart, worship. And so we're going to learn today from a moment of true worship in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, we find the prophet of God, Isaiah, going to the temple for worship as he would have routinely done as a Jewish man there in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple for worship and yet uh, something amazing And wonderful happens to him on this particular occasion. Isaiah sees something that he'd never seen before. He hears something that he'd never heard before. And it changed his life forever. Uh, So let's read together Isaiah 6 verse 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah is speaking here. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it, 
stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. These are visible Uh, manifestations of the presence of a holy God right there in that place. Verse 5, Isaiah says, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. In this passage of Scripture, I want you to notice with me four principles of true worship. Let's learn these together today. Number one is that true worship comes out of desperation. Think about this. In verse 1, Isaiah gives us the setting. He says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord on his throne. Isaiah was a prophet who walked with the kings. He had a close association. Some believe he was even a part of the royal family. But Isaiah had been close to King Uzziah as an advisor, a prophet, a a mouthpiece for God to speak to the king, and we believe as a friend. Now, the king was gone, Isaiah said. This was the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah, history tells us that Uzziah had been a great king, but he got caught up in his pride and he did not finish well. In fact, the Bible tells us that Isaiah or Uzziah finished his reign in shame and isolation after God struck him with leprosy because of his pride. And the result was that many of the people of God began to turn away from God. The truth is, at this point, the nation was a mess. In fact, in the opening words of this book of prophecy, God says, Isaiah, my children have rebelled against me. They are laden with iniquity. They are evil and corrupt. My people have forsaken me. And so uh, Isaiah comes to the temple that day, the house of worship, grieving king and country. He was in a situation of a crisis in his nation. He felt the responsibility, the weight of that. And, and I believe he comes with a heart of desperation. Lord, 
where are you? We need you right now. Lord, where are you in this? Lord, are you seeing this? What's happening to your people? Lord, what would you have me do as your prophet? Lord, I need you right now. Desperation. Now, sometimes true worship comes from a place of of joy and gratitude and, and celebration. But let's be honest. When we come to worship carrying in our hearts and in our bodies our, our pain and, and our grief and, and we're seeking intervention from God in the life of a loved one or in a problem at work and in our home and, and we, we just come to worship needing a fresh word from God and a, a fresh touch of God. Just being honest, it seems that those times are when our worship is the most honest and the most focused. When we come with a sense of desperation. Question, when was the last time you were really desperate to hear from God? When was the last time you were genuinely desperate and hungry for a word from God and for God to intervene? Maybe because circumstances have caved in on you in your life. Maybe you come to worship with a longing to be right with God after you've sinned against Him. Maybe you come with a sense of desperation that, Lord, I need hope in my situation. I need forgiveness. I need you to step in and do something for my family. Desperation. And here's what I like about Isaiah in in this scene. Isaiah comes in a state of desperation, but he comes. He didn't stay home that day. Because he wasn't feeling all the things. He, he didn't stay home because he, he was in a, a crisis or maybe a little depressed. He, he went to the temple to worship anyway. He, he showed up. And he was there when God showed up. I don't know what you may, have, you may be dealing with today, what you're carrying in your heart as you come to worship. But let me tell you, you've done the right thing. And you've come to the right place. Because we're seeking the Lord here. We're lifting Him up here. And, and I like the fact that Isaiah just showed up. Anyway, we find that true worship oftentimes comes from a place of desperation. Number two, we learn from this passage of Scripture that true worship is directed to a holy God. Look at how God presents himself to Isaiah in verse 1. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. And so if Isaiah's question was, God, where are you in all of this? God makes a personal appearance to tell him, I'm right where I've always been. I'm seated on my throne in charge. God was still enthroned in heaven and still in charge of all Creation. 
listen, we learn here that there is a throne in heaven. And the Lord sits upon that throne as a sovereign ruler of the universe in charge of all of this. That is, I think, the central fact of heaven, that there is an occupied throne in heaven. Those who say there is no God say that that throne has no one sitting on it. There's no one in charge of this universe. Those who uh, believe and teach in uh, humanism and, and all of the things, all of the philosophies that go with that would say, no, human beings are sitting on the thrones of power in this world. But here's what we know. Our God is sitting on his throne in heaven Sovereign and in control of everything. Isaiah, I love how he says, I saw the Lord and he was sitting on his throne. God wasn't standing up, pacing around, wondering what am I going to do about the problems down there on the earth. God wasn't laying down asleep on the job and unaware of Isaiah's struggles. But instead, he said, I saw him seated on the throne at ease. In control, in charge, sitting on the throne. Well, Isaiah may have been uh, desperate, depressed, discouraged because the leader of his nation was no longer on that throne. But God in heaven shows Isaiah, hey, don't worry about it, son. King Uzziah may not be on his throne anymore, but I'm still on my throne. And you can trust in me. Now with that in mind, you'll understand verse 1 better, right? Isaiah was saying, in the year that we lost our human king, I saw the real king sitting on his throne. God, in the midst of that crisis, to let Isaiah and the people know that all was not lost, he makes a personal appearance and Isaiah sees him and he sees him sitting on his throne. Isn't it great to know that God had not vacated his throne? That when the whole world falls apart and everything seems to be going to pieces in our world and, and in your personal life, God is still there on the throne. Isn't that good to know? Exalted, it says, high and lifted up. And it says, the train of his robe, the, the back edge of his robe filled the temple. In those days, uh, the, the length of a king's robe indicated how much honor and majesty he had. And in this case, Isaiah said it was everywhere. Even the train of his robe filled up the temple everywhere I turned. His presence is there. And that's just a picture of, of God's majesty and his glory and his exaltation and his power. And then... How shocked was Isaiah when he looked up above the throne of God to see these six-winged six -winged angels flying around and shouting this repeating chorus, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. That word, uh, I mean, the, 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 the vision of those seraphim, those angels Hovering and flying and shouting like that must have been a sensory overload for the prophet Isaiah. But he listened to what they were saying. Here's how they were praising God. Holy, holy, holy is he. 
Holy, meaning perfect, pure, completely set apart from sin and, and from human wickedness and weakness. Uh, by the way, did you know that in all the Bible, this is the only place, it's the only attribute of God that is ever spoken of with a triple repetition. Holy, holy, holy. Never does the Bible say that God is love, 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 or that God is truth, 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 or that God is wrath, wrath, wrath. Instead, it says that He is holy, holy, holy. And the repetition there in the original language means this. He is the holiest. There is no one above Him. Our God, our King on the throne is holy in the highest possible sense. And so in that moment, whatever idea Isaiah ever had about the Lord before, now he sees the Lord for who He really is. And that changes everything. Here's what I want you to remember. When we come together for worship every week, we want to see the Lord too. We want to encounter the Lord too. And, and we're not expecting uh, an Isaiah 6 experience or we're not expecting to always be caught up in a once-in-a-lifetime sort of rapturous worship service. But here's the deal. We want, when we meet together for worship we want to know that God is here with us. We want to know that we have seen the Lord. Uh, we want to know we're in His presence. We want to see God for who He is. High, lifted up, worthy of the highest praise. We want to praise Him in the most glorious and most reverent way that we can. That's why we bang the drums and turn up the microphones and, and toot the horns and lift our voices loudly because we want, we want the Lord to be lifted up in our praise. We want to see Him for who He really is so that we can see ourselves and our situation more clearly. Uh, at this time, I want to ask Scott Andrews to make his way up here. Uh, you know, uh, Scott never gets to preach. And uh, so I, wanna, I wanted to give him that opportunity just to share what was on his heart today uh, when it comes to worship. And uh, so, Scott, you come and, uh, and share. I don't know anybody in my life who has spent more time preparing worship services, praying through worship services, leading worship services than Scott Andrews. And uh, he's the best in the world at doing this. Scott's been doing it for 35 years next month, right? Right here at First Baptist Church. And so from that kind of heart, I just want you to listen uh, to what Scott has to say. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Dan. It also could mean that I'm old. <laughs> I'm honored to step behind this pulpit, Pastor Dan, and, and just share from my heart a couple of things, uh, convictions that I have about worship. And I think some of it's obvious to you, but maybe we'll help you as you form your plans for worship and you think about worship, because whether you, whether you think about it or not, the truth of the matter is that worship is the key to experiencing God. You want to experience God's presence in your life, then you've got to worship Him. Right. 
It's got to be the focal point. He has to be the focal point of your worship. And I, I, I share that in this way, that God desires a relationship with you. I mean, he's his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you. So he, he desires a relationship with you. And just as he desires a relationship with you, uh, you need to desire a relationship with him. And I liken it unto the relationship I have with my children and my grandchildren. Uh, Jennifer and I have seven grandchildren and a couple of teenagers now. It's uh, amazing how fast that goes. And those of you that are grandparents, you understand that. But um, God desires a place in our life, and he deserves a place in our life, and, and our acknowledgement of that place. And just want you to think about how much you love to hear from your children and grandchildren. I may pick up my phone, and I may compose this super long text to one of my, my uh, grandchildren, and I'll get back the answer, Okay. I am thrilled by that. One, because they've answered me, but, but two, because they, they're acknowledging uh, their granddad. <laughs> Same thing goes with when I get a text, and it, must, it just says, when I open my phone and it says, Dad, or it says, Pop. I just, get, I just get excited about whatever it's going to be and desire with all that I am, to because I'm expecting a need to be asked for. And I, with all that I am, I, I want to meet that need. Well, as much as I want to do that, God wants to do that yeah. for you. <laughs> he loves you even more than that. He wants to do that. He wants to hear from you. God created us. Just think what that feels like when he hears from you. His own creation, what that feels like. Then what you experience when you hear from him and you know that and you've experienced that in your life when you've heard from God. How about doing, how do we do that? Praying, reading God's word and worship are the ways designed for you to talk to God, to hear from God and to experience God. As Pastor Dan's already mentioned, perhaps you've come in here and you're not really feeling that connection. You're not feeling the connection with the Lord. You're, even, you're, you're here because it's your duty to be here, and you're not really getting in on the worship. Church family, I want to share with you, you're going to bring to this worship service whatever you've been experiencing this week. That's right. Good, bad, what, indifferent, whatever it might be. Right. We don't come to worship to bring it up. We come to worship to worship Him. And so I, I, I implore you to spend some time in personal worship. Get on your knees. Get in God's word when you're not feeling the connection. <clears throat> Participate in personal worship and in corporate worship. God is presence. In fact, worship is what invites God's presence. Psalms 22.3 says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praise of Israel. Psalms 100, 4 and 5, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. As God showed up for Israel, he's showing up for you today as you offer your praise to him. We're free to worship because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus paved the way and the place for you and me through his shed blood. It is because of his sacrifice that we who are unworthy are made worthy yeah. to be in the presence of the Father. Amen. Jesus' sacrifice provided the avenue for us to worship. When we don't take advantage of Christ's sacrifice, we miss out on the blessings that he has for us, being in the presence of the Holy One, 
I've even wondered, Pastor Dan, if Christ wonders why we don't take advantage of being in the presence of the Holy One. He went to the cross so you could go to the throne. Think about that. Jesus Christ went and died on a cross so that you and I could go to the throne. That was his purpose. Worship is the key to a lifetime of experiencing God. We will worship at his feet for all of eternity. Can I ask you how much time you spend worshiping him? Not just on Sunday, but daily. Get this. Worship is not a Sunday activity. That's being recorded, and I'm saying that as your worship pastor. It's a daily expression of gratitude for what the Lord has done for you. It's not about an activity or an action. Worship is about a person. (laughs) Purpose in your heart to make every day a day of worship. Sunday should be a corporate celebration of what you've experienced through the week and what God is going to do through you for the next week. Corporate worship was created to be a time of encouragement and to lift our battle cry as an army of believers preparing us for the battle ahead. And lastly, we're not the audience. Both in private and corporate worship, there is but one member of the audience, and that is our Heavenly Father. May we worship like the psalmist David In Psalms 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I have desired of the Lord that that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then his plea at the end of that passage, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy Also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your your face, Lord, I will seek. Lastly, church family, you were made to praise. Amen. Amen. Amen, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott, for uh, the way that you lead us and the way you lead your team on our staff, the way you lead all of our volunteers and and all of us uh, to the throne of the Lord. You know, Scott, we don't get it right every time, do we? Uh, Not every sermon is a home run or even a good double. And not every song lands exactly the way you want it to. But what would it be like, and Scott and I have talked about this, if we all worship during the week individually so that when we come together we're bringing our worship with us we're not coming to worship we're bringing our worship with us and joining together to get fired up and to encourage one another and to lift up the lord in a special way Um, you know one reason that we sing the way we sing and we have all these instruments and amplification and lights and all that is that, listen, we tend to have such a low view of God and everything else crowds Him out and overshadows Him, all kinds of problems and things we deal with. We need to be reminded in the words of songs and maybe some rhythm or tune that gets in your heart and in your mind that that we serve a holy, holy, holy God and before Him, Uh, We worship and we bow. Uh, So uh, thank you, Scott, for sharing.
Let me give you these last two principles as we close today. The third one is this that we learn here is that true worship brings repentance. Repentance, a turning from our sin and turning back to God. Notice here that Isaiah's response to seeing God for who he really is, holy, 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 is that he was able to see himself for who he really was, unholy, unholy, unholy. In verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Meaning, I'm ruined. I'm doomed. I'm, I'm destroyed here. I'm a sinner standing before a holy God. When, when we get into the presence of Almighty God, we can not only see Him for who He really is, but we come to see ourselves for who we are in light of His holiness. So here's Isaiah God's chosen prophet for Israel, and his response is, I need to repent of my sin. I'm a broken sinner. I'm in in a desperate place now because I've sinned against a holy God, and I've seen the Lord, and I'm doomed before him. And Isaiah, Isaiah sees just how unworthy he is to even be in the Lord's presence, and we can all relate to that. We're all sinners Two, we all stand before a holy God as guilty, broken sinners deserving judgment. And listen, we know the remedy for our sin is not just trying harder to stop sinning. And the remedy for our sin is not just trying to do more good things to make up for the sins we commit. Our only hope and the only remedy that God has provided is His grace and His forgiveness. For us to be cleansed by his forgiveness. Isn't it good news that our Lord of glory is also a Lord of grace? When Isaiah confesses his sin, immediately God responds in an unusual way. He sends one of these six winged angels to go and, and get the tongs and to grab a live coal from off the altar of sacrifice there in the temple. That was the place where God received sacrifices and they were burned up in order to atone for sin. And so God has that angel take that live coal and place it at the place that Isaiah said is my sin problem, my mouth. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so the angel placed that fire on his lip. Apparently, the only thing that was burned was Isaiah's guilt and Isaiah's sin, and and he was purged. Listen, that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus would do when he went to the cross and when he took our sins upon himself and he gave his life as a sacrifice for us. And his father received that sacrifice on our behalf so that when we trust in him, His righteousness is applied to our sin and we are cleansed and and our sins are taken away and, and our sins are purged as well. And so true worship leads us to that place of repentance. Finally, true worship changes you. True worship changes you. You don't leave in the same condition in which you come. In verse 8, we see that after all Isaiah heard and saw, 
after receiving forgiveness for his sin, being cleansed, now he's ready to be sent out on mission for the Lord. He said, here am I, send me. Listen, when we come to worship, our goal is we want to lift up the Lord with our praise. And Scott, what we're really doing is echoing the angels that are already praising God around his throne. We, we want to lift up the Lord with our praise. We, we, want, we want to see him in all his holiness as we open his word and proclaim his word. We want to see ourselves for what we really are. We, we want to leave cleansed and forgiven and fired up with a fresh touch of God on our lives. And we want to exit this building on Sundays with a clear mission that here's what God has called me to do. Here's what I'm going to do to serve the Lord. Here's how I'm going to glorify Him. Here's how I'm going to make a difference in the lives of those around me who are broken and lost. True worship ought to change you. And so let's do this. Let's commit to a year in 2024 of worshiping the Lord together. And let's be changed. I love how Isaiah enters the temple a desperate man and he leaves the temple a driven man. Driven by the mission, the commission that God gave him to go out and to share his word. I want us to commit ourselves to a year like that of worshiping together and, and lifting the Lord high. Well, let's stand up together and, and I want to lead us in a time of prayer and commitment today. Our pastors are going to come and be ready to uh, pray with and, and talk to anyone who may have a spiritual need today, anyone who needs prayer. And let me ask you for, for one of these three commitments, okay? First of all, I want to ask you to commit to be present in the worship services here at First Baptist Church. Like Isaiah, to show up. Uh, my pastor growing up, Dr. H.K. Sorrell, uh, used to say this, and I, I didn't know what it meant. He would say, I'll see you next time unless you're providentially hindered. I thought, what in the world does that mean? Here's what I came to understand. Providentially hindered means that God has allowed something to come into your life where it is impossible for you to show up. And so what he was saying was, otherwise, let's all be here in worship. I want to ask you for that commitment this year to show up and don't miss out on what God is doing here. Amen? And then uh, let me ask you this. Have you ever before surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever come before the throne of Jesus and bowed your knee in surrender to Him and given Him your life? If you're not saved, I pray today's going to be the day when you get that settled and that you come to the Lord for salvation. In a moment, we'll begin to sing. Scott's going to lead us. And our pastors are going to be here ready to pray with you about that and to help you to make that decision today. Uh, finally, during this time, as you pray, it could be that, that we need to 
confess something like Isaiah did. Remember Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. Apparently for Isaiah, it was something he, he said, something he talked about that was sinful. I don't know what it might be for you. I know that there are many, many times I would have to say, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. Maybe for you today, you would have to say, it, it's my eyes. Lord, I have unclean eyes. I've been looking at things I shouldn't look at. Or I have, un, un, I have an unclean mind. Lord, thinking about things I shouldn't think about. My hands are unclean. I've handled things I shouldn't handle. My feet are unclean. I've been going places I shouldn't go. Lord, uh, whatever it might be, I'm seeking your cleansing as I repent of that sin today. And so, like Isaiah, listen, let's be specific. And, and let's ask the Lord for that cleansing. Here's what we know, that He's faithful and He forgives. And He's a God of grace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this picture in Your Word of true worship for an assurance that you are on your throne when everything else seems out of control, you're still seated in control. And that you're a God not only of great holiness, but of great grace. You love to forgive and to restore. I pray for anyone here today who is lost in their sin, Lord, that they would be saved. For anyone who is burdened down with a, a sin, they need to confess to you. God, I pray they would confess it to you in prayer just now and receive your cleansing like Isaiah did. Thank you, Lord, for that assurance we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.